So tuning into that attitude of welcoming, of welcoming each other, both those that we can see in the space, whether we're in the physical hall or the online hall. Welcoming also those that we cannot see, that we know are there. All part of a network of support. I've been supporting each other through the day. A network of support. And interestingly, we've been supported and inspired by others here. And we've also been supporting, and you may be surprised, (laughs) inspiring others here to practice. I just want to take a moment to so that we can feel what um, what that is like to say, ah, I am a support yeah, to others. My practice is an inspiration to others. Now what happens when we do that? Can we allow that? And it doesn't mean <laughs> if the voice pops in of like, yeah, but your practice was pretty shit. Yeah. That's not an inspiration for anyone. Yeah. And we notice that. Yeah. And we can say, no. That's even more inspiring. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't been easy. Maybe that hasn't been smooth sailing. Yeah. And yet here we are. So I really want to to stay with that and kind of to invite you, if it feels appropriate, to, you know, if you're in the hall, to take a little look around, yeah? And if you're on the online hall, to also look at the others on the screen, yeah? And just think, ah, yeah? My fellow journeyers on the path, those who support and inspire me and those who, you know, I might occasionally (laughs) or a lot of the time be inspiring and certainly supporting just through showing up, just through being here. And just reflecting on the meditation now, I'm always really moved when we're joined in the whole here at Guy House by some of the residential staff and the work retreatants that are doing so much to support us yeah, behind the scenes. And I was thinking, ah, I know some of the people online, <laughs> some former coordinators at Guy House there. Yeah, we've done a lot. Yeah, and kind of what happens when we kind of broaden that? Yeah. There's some people who love Gaia House dearly, but, you know, are unable to be here physically. And some of us are here physically. There's many of us that are here for the first time. And all of that 
is, is inspiring. All of that is beautiful. So kind of what happens in us when we open to that? Yeah. And maybe, you know, there's a, a change or there's a kind of shift in the inner world which is just a little glimpse <laughs> and then things contract again. And maybe there's something that kind of stays for a while. Yeah. And can we take that and kind of, you know, with that sense of, ah, yeah. Also bring that welcoming that we began with welcoming each other, like we did yesterday. Also welcome ourselves. Yeah. As your body and mind are in this moment. Yeah. Welcoming ourselves, acknowledging ourselves. Yeah. As we are, as the body, heart and mind are showing themselves, are unfolding in this moment. Just opening to how that might impact our experience. Maybe for one moment and maybe for a sequence of moments. So we can, uh, well I hope, (laughs) I know I certainly am really interested in this and hopefully we'll, we'll get you kind of interested in this as well. We've got you here for quite a bit of time. Interested in seeing, you know, what happens when we bring a welcoming attitude to the heart and mind? How does that impact experience? What happens when we bring a gentle smile to the face? Yeah. How does that impact experience? What happens when we open to the fact that others are welcoming us or being supported by us or being inspired by us. How does that impact? Something we can get curious around, be interested in. So how is our experience impacted when we do these quiet, simple, simple but profound things? Change the expression on the face. Intentionally bring a particular attitude to the heart and mind. How does it impact experience and what does it reveal? What does it reveal? So I'll tell you what I think it reveals. It reveals that our experience is impacted by our way of looking and relating to it. It reveals that our experience is not as fixed as we habitually take it to be. When we say way of looking or way of relating, you know, we include, you know, the mood that's present, the mind state that's present, the dominant habit that might be present, yeah, there might be a dominant habit that's present, the intention that might be present, the view, yeah, that might be present in the heart and mind. 
And all of these color our perception. Yeah. Color our perception. We perceive through our moods. Yeah. Through our contacts. Through our views. Yeah. Through our intentions. And another way of saying it, the way of looking, yeah, way of relating, shapes what we perceive and how we perceive. It shapes experience. It shapes what we perceive and how we perceive it. So I want to I wanna give an example. And those of you who know me know that I like giving examples. <laughs> So, three weeks ago I got sick, yeah, and uh, I was away from home in a different country. I was about uh, to teach a trekking retreat. I'd been really looking forward to it. I hadn't been able to teach one for four years. I was really looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to being in the wilderness. And I got sick. <laughs> and I was away from home. Yeah. And so, you know, the body wasn't feeling great. And, you know, I was not going to do something that I'd been really looking forward to doing. And so we can imagine in that kind of situation, yeah, and being away from home and not being able to go back home, can imagine that there might be disappointment, <laughs> there might be regret, uh, there might be blame, that old <laughs> friend, <laughs> to blame someone for this. Yeah. What was really interesting for me was that there wasn't. Yeah? There was gratitude, yeah, that even though I had to stay in a bedroom, <laughs> for most of the time, except for going to the toilet. There was a big window, and I could see some wonderful trees. Yeah. That was gratitude and appreciation. Yeah. That was gratitude and appreciation that uh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's much worse things. Yeah. There was gratitude and appreciation for the generosity of the person whose flat we were in. Yeah, that we could stay, yeah, for as long as we needed to, yeah, until I got better. Yeah. And so it was really striking, yeah, that there was this gratitude, there was appreciation, and so there wasn't much sense of a problem. And what is pretty undeniably an unpleasant experience, yeah, pretty undeniably an unpleasant experience, not something uh, I would choose. And yet, the interesting thing is, things happen. Illness happens. Disappointment happens. In the words of the Buddha, we get what we don't want. (laughs) We don't get what we do want. These things happen to us as human beings. And yet the quality of the experience is not fixed. Different ways of looking and relating to it shape it differently. 
Yeah. Shape it differently. So, you know, there can be ease with being unwell if there's a sense of gratitude and appreciation and equanimity. Yeah, with that. And this actually really surprised me. <laughs> Once my fever was down and I wasn't just falling asleep all the time, <laughs> I was able to meditate in bed. Yeah. There was a lot of tranquility yeah, and peacefulness. That was actually really nourishing. Yeah. Still body not well, still unpleasant sensations, but alongside them, with them. Tranquility, ease, well-being. And sometimes even really pleasant sensations. (laughs) We're quite, like, it's not just me, I promise you, that's this crazy. We're quite exceptional things. These body, heart, mind combinations. And what we can do, and the freedom that's uh, available to us. So, this is, you know, for me, yeah, really interesting. That different ways of looking yeah, can actually shape our experience differently. And this is something that we can cultivate. Yeah? Something that we can cultivate. I'm pretty... You know, you can't be sure of anything, but I'm pretty sure (laughs) that if the kind of my personality as it was 20 years ago (laughs) was having the same experience, there would have been a lot more frustration and dis-ease with the disease. So there's a meaningful insight here. And we can say, yeah, if we kind of look at the teachings, we can say, yeah, there's this mindfulness that we bring to experience, yeah, to be present, yeah, to know it, to meet it. And there's also the investigation that we bring to experience. Yeah, these are two factors that are called um, two of seven um, awakening factors that we develop with the practice. Yeah the mindfulness and also the investigation, seeing uh, how is this shaped, what contributes, what's possible. So the mindfulness, the meeting of our experience, allows that investigation, and that investigation leads to more mindfulness, because we can kind of open up more and more intricate layers of our experience. And so we can start to understand how our experience is shaped, or in the Buddha's language, fabricated, put together. And we can see also what habits we have of fabrication, because we have a lot of habits. I mentioned today, I can't remember if it was in the question and response or in the posture, but the bodies have habits, yeah? something we start noticing when we pay attention. The body has a habit in how we sit or what we revert back to. Yeah? So we have a lot of habits. 
And a whole kind of area of habit tendencies that we have is that we meet experience in ways that actually bring friction, yeah? Bring contraction, bring reactivity. Yeah, these are all forms of dukkha, yeah, of ill-being. Yeah. Things like aversion, yeah, rejection, yeah, greed, yeah, impatience. <laughs> I'm a really impatient person. <laughs> I had a lot to, a lot of juicy work there with that one. So these kind of habitual ways um, of relating to experience, of meeting experience, that actually bring a sense of friction, of rubbing up against, yeah, bring a sense of contraction and reactivity, yeah, the pushing things away, the pulling things towards us, yeah, like all the time. And the beauty of these teachings and practices is that, you know, they remind us this isn't a done deal. Yeah. We have these habits, yeah, but how are habits created? By repetition. Yeah. Habits are just repetition. <laughs> yeah. That's how they're created. And so we can learn to let go to not feed, and we can also practice and learn to cultivate other possibilities, to cultivate ways of looking that instead of leading to friction, instead of leading to contraction, instead of leading to reactivity, lead to well-being, lead to response. lead to spaciousness. So when we practice things like gratitude, like appreciation, like kindness, like um, noticing the, the pleasant or nourishing aspect of the breathing or of sound of hearing, when we practice that, there is less dukkha in experience. It might be just a tiny, tiny smidge less, <laughs> yeah. But a little bit, a little bit less dukkha is a lot, yeah. It's really a lot, yeah. And so that's something we can build on, yeah. We can build on. And so, yeah, unpleasant doesn't need to lead to dukkha doesn't need to lead to suffering and distress. Unpleasant does not need to lead to that. Caveat. (laughs) Doesn't mean that if there is dukkha, that there's something wrong with you, or that it's your fault. Really does not mean that. Just means there's possibilities. And we can over time, cultivate other ways of responding. So unpleasant does not need to, does not lead to to dukkha, does not need to lead to dukkha. And we can be sick and the body can be uncomfortable. And yet, 
unpleasant does not need to lead to dukkha. Big insight there. And this is something that we know for ourselves. Sometimes I give these examples and then I kind of think, oh, they're all going to think I'm like really arrogant. <laughs> Look at me. I can be sick and not suffer. Yeah. And that's not the intention because, you know, we know this in our own experience, yeah, in different ways. We know that unpleasant does not need, yeah, to become dukkha, yeah, to become contraction and friction and reactivity. Yeah, just some examples. If you do something like yoga, (laughs) yeah, or dance, yeah, where you, or training for a marathon, have a friend who's a runner, teaches me a lot, (laughs) yeah, about practice. And so you, you know, you go through experiences which are certainly not pleasant, right, in the normative sense, yeah, or you're learning a new skill, that embarrassment of trying to learn a language and just kind of making a complete hash of it, (laughs) it's not really pleasant, right? And yet, the context, the context shapes it towards something else. So the body may be painful, the stretch may be a real stretch, it may be really embarrassing that I said that word completely wrong. But the context that we have shapes the experience towards perhaps uh, some degree of well-being and certainly not a degree of problematic. I need this to stop. Does that make sense to people? Yeah, do you know this? Yeah. And there's this wonderful uh, teaching story from uh, Pema Chodron. She's an American teacher in the Tibetan tradition. And she tells this story of her and her nephew on a boat. (laughs) I love this story. So they're both on a boat. She hates being on boats. He loves being on boats. And they stand there side by side on the boat. And they're just describing to each other the physical sensations. Yeah. Oh, my heart is beating really fast. And I've got this clenched feeling in my stomach. And I'm, you know, lightheaded. <laughs> and actually, the physical sensations are the same. Yeah. But she hates being on boats. And he loves it. So the context shapes it. For him, these are pleasant sensations. For her, they're unpleasant. That's fascinating, right? Seemingly the same thing. But the way of relating shapes it. The context shapes it. The preference shapes it in a different direction. So our experience as human beings, yeah, is fabricated, it's put together, yeah. It's shaped by many causes and conditions, yeah. Any moment of experience, yeah, shaped, put together. Many causes and conditions, countless causes and conditions, including the heart-mind, In Pali, the the language of of the Buddhist texts, heart, mind are one thing, citta. It's lovely, isn't it? Again, we can see, how does that shape our experience? Can you imagine having a language where those two weren't different? 
completely different context. Anyway. So our experience is fabricated, it's put together, it's shaped by many causes and conditions, including the heart and mind. And for us, this is really central. Really, really central. Because it's this heart-mind that we're working with in our practice. It's the heart-mind that we're exploring. It's the heart-mind that we are investigating and understanding. And it's the heart-mind that we are cultivating in particular directions. From reactivity to response. From dukkha to possibilities. Possibilities of well-being. So the heart-mind, this is the heart of our practice, the center of our practice. It's the field of our exploration. It's the field of our investigation. It's what we are cultivating. We're cultivating what we're growing. Sometimes we use these beautiful, um, you know, gardening metaphors. Cultivation is an agricultural world, word to grow things. So we're growing. It's like each of us is like a, a seed or a tender plant. You know? We're cultivating within that soil the seeds, the plants of wholesome ways of looking, of skillful ways of looking. And so I want to kind of say this uh, another way, everything I've just said, a whole long piece. Hopefully it won't take so long. And uh, Nathan touched on it this morning. Yeah. We can see that when there's an experience, yeah, there's an object in attention. Right? You agreed with Nathan this morning, so you can't disagree with me now. Yeah. When there's an experience, there's an object in attention. might be a Sense stimulation might be a thought, might be an emotion. But our experience is not just shaped by the object. It's not just shaped by the physical sensation. It's not just shaped by the sound. It's not just shaped by the thought. It's also shaped by the way of looking and relating to that object. Sometimes we call it the atmosphere of attention. And again, this includes the mood, the view, the intention, yeah, the context, the uh, mind state, the way of looking and relating. And it gets really interested, interesting. I'm back to habits. You know, we, as we look at our experience, we see um, we actually have habits of attention. So even the object that's part of our experience isn't randomly selected. We pick up certain objects and stimuli out of the kind of countless sense stimuli that are available to us in any moment. Pick up certain ones. So, you know, for example, if you're looking at me right now, you might notice that you might be looking at my face or at my body contours, but you're not taking in the space around me. Right? That's a habit of attention. We notice something, we don't notice the space around it so much. We can do it when we want to, when we bring intentionality to it. And we notice the unpleasant more than the pleasant. This is a really strong habit of our attention. 
We notice what's not going well more than what is. So what happens if we remember the dukkha and the sukha or the dukkha and the freedom are in the way of relating to experience and going beyond the habits, the habits of attention, the habits of reactivity. The dukkha and the sukha, the dukkha and the freedom are not in the object. Or sometimes... We need to say, not just in the object. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it might be really hard to believe that feeling a little bit too hot is not really a recipe for misery. I have to tell you, it's about 26 degrees here today. I'm talking to Monica before. It's 34 degrees where she is. Did it just get cooler? Maybe it got hotter. Anyway. So dukkha and freedom are in the way of relating, not in the object. And sometimes we can say, um, dukkha, yeah, and Nathan has said that, is the opposite of freedom. Yeah. Dukkha is a lack of freedom. When we're not free, there is dukkha. Yeah. There is ill-being. Yeah. And that translation of dukkha as suffering, you know, sometimes is not precise enough for us because we don't have to be suffering, but there may be a sense of friction and contraction, yeah, that we experience when we are bound, when we're limited by the habits of uh, reactivity. Yeah, when we're limited by that, yeah, and we're not free, yeah, and that's a type of dukkha. That makes sense to people. Yeah. So I'm just going to pause here a moment and just invite you, if you are starting to feel like the energy is slumping, it is, it is quite warm in here, I think. Yeah. And we've only been here a day, so there's still some tiredness. Just feel that. Let's just take a pause a moment, and if you wish, uh, just stand up or stretch the body. Let's just take a pause to do that. And kind of, yeah, care for ourselves and our experience. And if you wish, you can continue to just... Be interested, very lightly, not heavy, not pressurizing, in how that changes experience, both the intention to care for the body and the change in the posture. So when you're ready, um, find a good posture. Yeah, you might choose to carry on standing. You may uh, want to shift from the posture you were sitting in before to something else, and allow yourself to be comfortable. It's allowed, even invited and encouraged. (coughs) 
So I want to highlight some of the things that are, that happen as we practice. Yeah. That I feel are quite meaningful to kind of just know, to just name. Yeah. Through our practice, we deepen our understanding of how the cheetah operates, how the heart-mind operates. We develop clarity of seeing into how our experience is shaped. Yeah? And just the fact that it's shaped, yeah? just that is revolutionary and radical. So that it is shaped and then how it's shaped. What are the blocks yeah, that construct it? We also deepen the malleability and the flexibility of the heart and mind. This is really important. I remember first hearing this after I was already practicing for quite a long time. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. So the, the mind, the heart becomes more flexible and more malleable. Yeah, like a, a piece of Play-Doh. Yeah. That's such a gift. Yeah. Why? Because that increases the range of ways of looking. Yeah, that are available to us. And we cultivate ways of looking that free us. Yeah. That dissolve those boundaries of our habits and our reactivity. Yeah. Ways of looking that free us, ways of seeing that free us. That's a, a way of defining insight. Yeah. So we cultivate ways of looking that free and we cultivate the capacity to incline our mind to that, yeah? to incline our mind to that, say, ah, oh, I'm choosing gratitude now, I'm choosing generosity now, I'm choosing kindness now. And so that was a lot of what we were doing in the practice today. I mean, the practice today had many layers, but one of them was uh, that attunement yeah, to the pleasant or the nourishing. Yeah? And that is a cultivation of malleability and flexibility of the mind, because it's not the habit. Yeah? It's not where the mind goes. Yeah? So it's a, a kind of a increase in that um, malleability and flexibility. It's also a cultivation of what is a skillful, wholesome way of looking. You know, we can tune into what uh, is nourishing for us, and hopefully you may have had at least glimpses of that, it impacts our experience. Yeah? Impacts our experience. And sometimes, you know, people hear these teachings or they have these experiences and they say, oh no, but you know, that's building the sense of self and that's building the ego. It's like, no, <laughs> check. What does it do? Yeah? What does it do? Check. How does it impact experience? when there's access to something that's nourishing, when there's joy. How does it impact? So we may have noticed today that just an intention to tune in to what was pleasant or uh, what was nourishing, it opened something up, opened possibilities in a particular direction, and perhaps impacted perception. Part of that expansion of the range, yeah, and the expansion of the malleability and flexibility of the mind, um, part of that, of that is the remembering that there's always something we can do. Yeah, whatever is arising in our experience, yeah, 
we can attend to it in a particular way. Yeah. So we notice yeah, something in our practice and we can see, ah, oh, what's, what's beneficial there? Because <laughs> we may have labeled it as unhelpful or problematic. So yeah, what's in it that I can take? Yeah, the energy and the restlessness, maybe. Yeah. Or the calm and the tiredness that came up in the question and response today. Yeah. This calmness, tranquility, and tiredness. What happens when we tune into that? So there's always something we can do. Yeah. And what happens when we remember that? What happens when we remember the dukkha and the freedom, not in the object? Yeah, but in the way of relating, what happens? Opens up the space. The more we understand this, yeah, the more we practice this, yeah, the more well-being becomes available to us. Yeah, the more we understand, yeah, the more we practice. We need to practice. Yeah. Insights, you know, we often kind of come to practice and, or, or we have an experience and think, oh, I, ha- I have that insight now. <laughs> yeah, rest back. Yeah. Put, put the, the heart, mind, body on auto, autopilot. Yeah. Actually, what we find is that, no, we need to keep showing up. Yeah. With playfulness. Yeah. With patience. Yeah. With lightness. Lightheartedness. Yeah. But we need to keep practicing so that uh, that cultivation continues, that seed is nourished to grow and to flourish. So the more we understand the dukkha and the freedom, not in the object but in the way of relating, the more possibilities open up for us. And we can remember that, yeah, we can reflect on experiences that we've had of that, yeah. And reflect, ah, you know, this thing, yeah, that I thought was going to bring me everlasting happiness or, you know, absolute despair, yeah. How, how did the experience change? Was it always the same? And what was it that I was doing that made some moments more free than others? We can reflect on that in our own experience just from today. Just from today. It's always something we're doing. We can always play with that. We can always play with that. It's always something that we're doing. We can always... um, Shift that, bring playfulness, bring creativity to that. And so we're always, you know, when there's an experience, there's the object in attention, and there's the way of paying attention, the way of looking that's shaping what we're experiencing, that's influencing the perception. And we can just keep things really simple. We can just explore what happens when I bring in interest to an experience. Just interest. What happens when I bring in kindness or compassion to an experience? What happens 
And what happens is that our way of looking will be colored by that interest and that kindness. Colored by these intentions. And then it will be shaped in a particular way. And we also know the opposite. What happens when we bring attention to an object, whatever that is, with harshness, with impatience? How How does that impact our experience? So there's always a, le- a way of looking, a lens of perception yeah. that's playing a part in, in what we're experiencing. It's never neutral. There's always an impact there. And that's something we can use to our advantage. Yeah. It's a gateway to freedom to see this, to understand this, and to explore it. Yeah. And really, the invitation, yeah, that we're going to repeat, <laughs> yeah, to chew on this insight, to explore it in your own experience, to apply it. What's the way of looking right now? That's shaping experience, that's contributing to experience. Something we can look at for ourselves, something we can deepen into more and more wakefulness, into more and more freedom. Our experience is fabricated, shaped, built up, dependent on the mind, dependent on the heart and mind. And our experience is also inconstant and transitory. It's also so helpful to remember because it gets fixed and solidified. It's also a way of looking at things. It's like this and it's never going to change. But actually... Our experience is inconstant and transitory, not fixed, not constant. Anicca in Pali. And that means if our experience is not fixed, it brings us back to the possibilities of response that we have. We can have an impact on how our experience changes. And we can change our modes of relating, our ways of looking both in the moment and over time. This brings change in the moment and over time. And when we remember this and we start to play with that, it brings energy, it brings enthusiasm, brings interest, brings vitality. I sometimes reflect that one of the most significant things, I think, that I have learned and practiced and continuing to learn, yeah, it's an ongoing journey, yeah, is that power of interest and possibility, yeah. Just what happens, ah, I'm interested in this. And it's something we can cultivate, yeah, the choice to be interested in something, yeah, you can cultivate that. And that brings that enthusiasm and energy that um, is so connected to vitality, to aliveness, to freedom. So the possibility of possibilities, one of our favorite phrases, and I think we've already said it at least once, is infinite and exciting, even when it's hot (laughs) and you're tired 
Yeah? The possibility of possibilities is infinite. It's boundless. Yeah? And it's exciting. Yeah? It's a precious gift to be a human being with a heart and a mind and a body. Yeah? That brings us to practice, that brings us to this interest to understand experience. Yeah. We can attend to this moment in ways that free, yeah? in the moment and over time. Yeah. We can prioritize growth. Yeah. We can cultivate this tranquil vitality that Nathan mentioned today. It's a beautiful phrasing, isn't it? Tranquil vitality. And so, you know, I keep projecting on you that you're feeling tired. Maybe you're not. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, my notes there say, say something about tiredness. <laughs> it's actually, um, you know, it's kind of a continuation of the story of being sick. Yeah. Is that kind of three weeks later, I'm still dealing with, I'm still faced with kind of really fluctuating energy levels. Yeah. If you haven't picked up yet on everything, I had COVID. So it's quite normal after COVID to have fluctuating energy levels. Yeah. And yet, you know, when they come up, yes, I thought you know, I had a few days of feeling back to normal. And then yesterday it was like, whoa, yeah, I'm like a rag again. <laughs> and just noticing that, the tiredness right now, and then all the habits of reactivity come up. Yeah, I don't like this. I don't want this. I thought this was over. It's not fair. I need to teach a retreat now. How am I going to do it? Yeah, all of that. Yeah, it's all layers of reactivity. Yeah, it comes up. And then we meet it. The path is right here. Yeah, a moment of tiredness, a day of tiredness, which is made up of moments of tiredness in some not not tired, by the way, yeah. if we pay attention. Yeah. That's our path, right here. Maybe not what I want, yeah. but this is the path right now. This is what's in experience. How do I attend to what is arising? Yeah. And so I spoke a few times I, about, you know, dukkha, is a kind of friction and contraction, yeah? Arises with friction, contraction, and reactivity. If we can bring those down, yeah? And we can do it moment by moment. Something like tiredness is a great teacher, yeah? Just come back to this moment. And I invite the body to relax like we were doing in the meditation, yeah? I invite our interest or gratitude or appreciation, something that kind of revitalizes. So the path is right here, and the question for us as those who are walking the path is, how do I attend? Yeah. And hopefully we can learn to ask that question in a way that is exciting. Yeah. Not with kind of a subtext of, because, you know, you really need to get it right, and if you don't, come on. But actually, yeah, how do we ask that question? 
So how do we kind of open to something like tiredness? Yeah. Acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. But not get swept up into the reactivity to bring compassion, to bring interest, to bring vitality. And how do we also notice the moments when there isn't tiredness? Yeah. Because there will be moments like that, even when you're really tired. Yeah. And the same goes for any you know, unpleasant experience of body, heart, and mind. That's the path right here. How do I attend? This is possible for us. It's possible for us. These two marvelous beings behind me. Yeah. Buddha, more famous, and Kuan Yin, Bodhisattva of compassion. Yeah, she's a serious dudess. Yeah. There. Yeah. They're there, yeah, to remind us that this is possible for all of us, for each of us. Yeah. The path is here in our experience. Right here. And we can walk it. So yeah, let's walk this journey together. Journey from this moment of experience. All the way to the ending of dukkha. Not just for ourselves, but for all beings. From this moment, right here all the way to the ending of dukkha for all beings. So let's just have a quiet moment together to bring this to a close. So may our practice together continue to open up possibilities of freedom for each of us and for all beings, all beings everywhere. So thank you for your listening and for your practice today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.